Hello, and welcome to Sip, Sip, Hooray, the podcast for the wine curious, people who want to know more about wine without getting lost in wine speak. And you know, TBH, the world can be, the wine world can be intimidating at times, and it is not known for its diversity. Traditionally, California wineries have been owned by wealthy, white, mostly men. Thankfully, things are starting to change, and our show today features the first Mexican-American owner-proprietor of a winery in Monterey County. Miguel Lepe grew up in Monterey, went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, where this business major sort of fell into a viticulture class and ultimately fell in love with winemaking. We are thrilled to have Miguel join us today. We are, of course, the two Marys who like to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm Mary Babbitt. And I'm Mary Orlin. And today we are sitting with Miguel Lepe at the winery where he makes his wine, Lepe Cellars. He makes it here at Rath Vineyards, a Rath Winery. We are in Salinas Valley. And um, it's a beautiful day today, and we would love to be outside, but... The um, winds, the the, um, regular winds that come off the Monterey Bay are blowing pretty strongly right now this afternoon. But it's those winds that really give the character to the grapes and to the wines that end up in the glass. But we are here to introduce you, our listeners, to Miguel and to his amazing story, which includes how one college course changed the entire trajectory of his life. And uh, Miguel, we are so happy to have you. Welcome to Sip, Sip, Hooray. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you, too. Well, I, I think you need to tell us that story. So there you were at Cal Poly, which I told you my son it goes to Cal Poly, so go Mustangs. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there you were at Cal Poly. What year were you? Uh, I was, uh, well, I graduated in 2011, but... If we're talking about that first viticulture class, mm-hmm. it was actually at my community college. Oh, interesting. So right after high school. Um, so I graduated from Salinas High and went directly to Hartnell College where I intended on, um, I was going through all the business classes and it was my last semester and I took that class just for fun because I just needed a few extra units to be able to transfer and I was going to go to San Diego State to continue my degree in business. Um, But that one class, that one viticulture class, completely changed my entire career path. I literally decided to stay back at Hartnell College to learn more about biology, chemistry, because none of my business classes would transfer to Cal Poly for wine. So I had to kind of regroup and, uh, you know, take the prereqs to be able to transfer as a viticulture and enology major. Oh, I got it. And well, one of the great things about Cal Poly is they're so hands-on. So when you got to Cal Poly, were you able to actually start working, you know, in kind of the wine world-ish, you know, on yeah, campus? Uh, it was actually immediately. Um, Cal Poly, like you said, is very hands-on. They have a winery on the campus and a, and a 15 acre vineyard on campus as well uh, so it's all managed by uh, the students you know overseen by the professors and so we got to experience every aspect of the entire production you know from start to finish you know growing the grapes to making the wine and even actually selling the wine too that's such a 
great way to get um, your start in the whole industry just with that educational foundation. But I just want to go back a little. So you take this elective, and what was it about that course that made you make such a major change in what you were going to do with your life? Well, so the unique thing about that course was that we actually took field trips to the local wineries here in Monterey. Uh, the, the class was taught during the harvest, so the busiest time at any winery. So I got to see all the, the harvesting, um, all the winemaking. I got to visit the, the wineries and see the, the crews working with you know, the new French oak barrels, crushing, sorting. I got to see everything. Now I knew nothing about it. I didn't know what any of that meant. But I just remember walking through the vineyards and the winery. I just, I think back and the smells of everything, the, the oak, the fermentations, it triggered something inside of me. I really enjoyed it. And so that really drew me even further into this class. Now the class was actually really hard. <laughs> it was taught by a visiting professor from um, uh, UC Davis. He's a plant geneticist, so it was actually really difficult. And, you know, I wasn't normally the best student, but <laughs> I actually loved this class so much that I just dedicated every moment I had to it. That's so cool. What a great story, and what a tribute to community college that they provided those opportunities, so right? And it also goes to show you just how strong your sense of smell is. Um, you know, we all kind of take it for granted, but, you know, uh, aromas, fragrance, all that. There, it certainly um, interacts in your brain and creates something really powerful. So I think that's pretty cool that you still have that memory. Yeah, definitely. I'll never forget it. Mm -hmm. You know, it definitely takes me back. There's some connection. You know, it's almost hard to explain. It's primal. Yeah. Yeah. My instinct. Uh -huh. Interesting. Well, growing up in Salinas, were you exposed to the wine industry at all? I mean, I know Salinas has like Future Farmers of America and everything like that, but um, did you have much exposure to wine as a kid? And, uh, no, no, not at all. My family's not into wine. I mean, they've gone into wine now because of me. <laughs> Darn um, straight. <laughs> they're wine lovers. Okay, okay. I so, bet I know their favorite brand. <laughs> but back then, uh, no, there was, I, I didn't, I never even actually tasted wine when I took this, this course. Were you uh, old enough to taste wine during the course? No. Uh -uh. I actually never even had alcohol before. Huh. Not even uh, at Cal Poly, when I transferred to Cal Poly and declared my major in enology, mm -hmm. still didn't even taste wine. <laughs> but I knew I loved the science behind it. Well, we mentioned that you are now considered the first Mexican-American owner-proprietor in Monterey County of a winery. When you were going through the program at Cal Poly and kind of coming up, did you see other people with your background doing it? I mean, certainly the cellars are full of... Um, and the and the vineyards are full of hardworking, talented Mexicans, Mexican Americans who are working their tails off and, and creating the wines that we all enjoy. We have not, un unfortunately, until recently, started to see people in power positions in wineries. So, did you see people that look like you that came from your background as you were coming through? Uh, no, unfortunately, I didn't. Uh... 
Yeah, it's uh, it's not a typical sight. You know? mm-hmm. So sad to say that I, I wish it was more common, but we're a little behind on times and just haven't reached that point where it is common to see uh, Mexican-Americans at this level. Sure. And did that present challenges for you that other folks who you were in the program with didn't face? Um, I think, if anything, it pushed me even harder to make sure I do reach you know, the point that I want to be at. You know, I do want to be a winemaker. I do want to be a business owner. I do want the brands to be out there. You know, I want to you know, show people that it is possible, you know, especially people that are in my starting position, you know, to show them that they can achieve exactly what I've been able to achieve. Going to say so, you're you're well on your way. Tell us about your journey from Cal Poly into actual working wineries and how you got to where you are today. Uh, well, the good thing about Cal Poly is that it is so hands-on. So I was able to graduate with experience. They do require uh, students to do an internship while they're in school, so you actually have to take a quarter off from taking classes to go work at a commercial winery. So alongside from my uh, actual education, I actually was able to complete a harvest uh, while at Cal Poly. And you're only required to do one, but I was so passionate about what I do, I ended up doing a second harvest while there. Where'd you do them? Uh, The first one was at Claiborne and Churchill in Edna Valley. Mm -hmm. And then the second one was at Lavigne in Paso. Nice. Yeah, I loved it so much. I didn't get credit for the second one, but (laughs) that's okay. I loved what I did. It added to your rounded work experience that you could bring with you to your next step along the way. And what was the next step for you? Uh, The next step was just continuing my, uh, my experience. You know, I wanted to work for so many wineries just to you know, learn as much as I could, because you're going to learn something new from different winemakers, different wineries. Everyone has their processes. Everyone has the, you know, their methods and philosophies about winemaking. And so I just wanted to get as much experience as I possibly could. So I landed at a position at Justin Vineyards. Um, so I worked there after graduating Cal Poly. And uh, my boss at the time was David Baird, who's now the winemaker at Folktale. And uh, he was the assistant winemaker at Justin, so I was very lucky to be able to work underneath him. Uh, so that was a, an amazing experience. And, uh, you know, I got to work for different sized wineries, very small, very large, everything in the middle. And, and that was the whole part of the experience, is just to learn as much as you can. So how did that shape what, you, what path you wanted to take, whether it was working for one of the bigger operations or smaller operations? I think it's good to see both sides. It definitely uh, opens up uh, you know, a lot of a lot of doors. Um, it's to meet a lot of people with lots of experience, you know, experience that they gain from all over the world. Um, but I think for me personally, I prefer the more boutique level, uh, just because on a smaller scale, you get to have your hand in every aspect. Um, of wine production from the growing, how the grapes are grown, uh, the actual wine styles, and also being okay with knowing that every vintage is going to be different. 
doesn't have to be a consistent wine every year. It just has to be good every year. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be that grocery store level, you know, taste the same yeah. vintage after vintage. That's such a good point. You have a little bit more room to, um, you know, let the let the season express itself exactly. instead of having that exactly Starbucks. This is what my Starbucks mocha is going to taste like every single time, right? Yeah. yeah. That's fun. Um, so how do you go from working... You're working at Rath now, mm-hmm. and tell me your role here at Rath. I'm the assistant winemaker here at Rath. And and I know that's a really big job, and they really value you, and I'm sure you really value them as well. How do you go <laughs> yeah. doing that and then also do your your own thing on the side? How does that work? Is it because, is it the relationship? Is it because they like you? Is, that, is this a typical thing? How does that happen? You know, I wouldn't say it's typical. It has been hard for me to find this kind of a position where I am able to have my other full-time job while still having my full-time job here. <laughs> so it, it's not a unique scenario. Um, but, you know, Rath, we're a decent size, but we're not that large. We're not a corporate uh, environment. You know, I think uh, the owner here wants to see all the brands succeed and so we do have that support from the owner you know he wants to make known that this this winery here can't produce quality wines from different brands different winemakers and it's all being produced you know under this area that's great um but before you got to wrath in between wrath and justin you also got to work with a winemaker who was a beloved figure here in the Monterey AVA. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I, I would say that uh, Peter Figgy was the one that really opened up the biggest door for me. You know, obviously I've learned from a lot of other winemakers and growers, and I've had a lot of support from so many people. Uh, but I say the number one has been Peter Figgy. He's the one that actually got me to start my own brand. I never had the intention of starting Lefa Sellers. I always just thought I'd work for somebody else. And one day, well, it was after Justin Vineyards, I was looking for just a harvest job, not even a full-time job, just an intern, because uh, I wanted to travel the world and follow the harvest, and I had that plan already. I already had a, a, a job lined up to work down in South America and Chile, uh, but that wasn't until the following season. And so I just uh, randomly called Peter Figgy, asking him if he needs a harvest internship or intern, and he invited me over to interview with him. And it was a long interview. It was five hours. I met him at the library. five hours. <laughs> First time ever. And we had a good conversation, and then he took me to his vineyard where I got to meet his uh, vineyard manager, and then he took me out to lunch. And I thought this whole time, like, a long interview for just <laughs> 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 um, But at the end of it, he actually offered me a full-time job. Really? As his assistant. Wow. And it was a small company. It was just uh, him and another part-time employee and then myself. And... I mean, it was totally caught off guard, but I, I told him, like, this is an amazing opportunity, but I already have this job lined up in South America. And he said, that's totally fine. Go ahead and do that job down there. When you're ready to come back, let me know, and I'll, I'll save your job for you. 
Wow. So he must have seen something in you that was special and knowing that it was okay for you to go do what you had already agreed to do to fulfill a commitment and that he would keep that position open for you. Yeah, I, I mean, I still can't believe it to this day, but yeah, that's, uh, that was a rare, unique uh, situation and I'm so grateful for it. What did you learn from Peter? Like, what were some of the, the things that he taught you that, besides the super specific nitty-gritty that wouldn't really translate to a podcast, but are there any overarching things that he taught you about how to how to be successful in this industry or, or how to work with people or whatever? You know, the, we definitely learned a lot from him, especially from, you know, the, the science side. You know, he has a master's in viticulture and He's one of the few people that is excellent at growing. He's a viticulture person mainly, and then became a winemaker afterwards. So I learned a lot of that from him, but also him being a small business, I got to learn you know, all the pros and cons about being a small business owner. You know, the good and the bad, you know, trying to find balance. And I wish I would have taken more notes back then because back then I didn't realize I'd be in this position today. And that Peter wouldn't be here today. Exactly. For our listeners, Peter passed away a few years ago. And so his wisdom is no longer, you know, you, you carry on what he already did teach you, but he, he can't be sharing any more lessons with you at this yeah. point. Yeah. I know there was a lot more he could have, could have taught me, but. You were lucky to have that chance with him, huh? I sure am, yeah. yeah. Definitely. So. When you got the opportunity and the encouragement to create your own label, what was that like? Well, we were just sitting in the cellar one day having lunch, me and Peter and Pancho, who's his vineyard manager, and just randomly he asked me if I was going to make any wine that year. I've never made wine for myself before, so I was kind of, I thought it was kind of random that he asked me that. <laughs> I was like, well, no, I wasn't thinking about it, and he's like, well, you should. I did. I made a barrel of Gewürztraminer, okay. um, and I made it just for fun. I didn't didn't have any licenses to be able to sell this wine. I didn't have a label or a brand. I just did it personal consumption, and so that you know that's what I did that year. And he kind of guided me through the process, you know, because in the past every place I worked at, you just you know you're following orders, you know, from the head winemaker telling you what to do. And so this was a really good opportunity because he actually allowed me to make those decisions. You know, like always ask me, well, like, oh, what do you want to do? Like, you can do this or that. It's really up to you. It's your wine. So that was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. That was my first time really making my own wine, you know, the way that I wanted to. And did it turn out the way you wanted it to? I loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah. <laughs> and it's because it was my first wine. I was so excited. <laughs> And then did you go on from there? So that was one barrel, you yeah. said? Yeah, and so the following year, he asked me if I was going to make wine again. Sure, why not? I guess I could do this again. He said, well, if you're going to do this again, you might as well go through the processes. We are at a working winery, so there's going to be some background yeah, noise. We're in the tasting room, but we're, it's adjacent to the winery facility, and so the, you might hear some bumping and stuff being moved but we're good with it go on miguel um so yeah he asked me if i was going to uh make some wine the following season and 
that I should go through the process of getting licensed. I can sell my wine and you know sell it to local grocery stores or wine bars, you know, wherever. And I said, sure, okay. I had no idea how hard it was going to be. <laughs> I was uh, in my early 20s at this time. And so I just went through the motions. You know, he kind of guided me through. Um, he introduced me to the right people, you know, like compliance people to kind of help me with all the licensing. And well, and then you did you need money to buy the grapes and everything, right? Yeah, yeah I had to buy the grapes and the barrels, but... He also didn't charge me any custom crush fees. So nice. He let me just use all of his equipment. He didn't charge me, you know, monthly rent. He didn't. He didn't charge me what he should. Have. <laughs> so hence why I was able to actually be able to afford it. You know, as an early twenty-year-old. Uh, so he made it financially possible for me to go through this mm. without, uh, you know, struggling too much. And that was so cool because, as you said, you were in your 20s. This is like a big step up. I mean, that's so cool. Yeah, I, I never, well, for one, I never thought that I would be a business owner uh, at that age and let alone you know, being so young, starting so early. Mm -hmm. your, your label is pretty cool. It's um, an etching or a drawing of a person with a barrel on their back, right? Yeah, so it... It's actually, it's an actual photo of myself carrying a barrel on my back. Nice. So that photo was taken at Figgy Cellars in, in his winery. And, uh, uh, Assuming that barrel's empty. <laughs> well, we'll never know. Uh, <laughs> oh God, you should be, no way, man, that was full. Yeah. That was no was problem. <laughs> I'm that strong. But yeah, it's... Um, Honestly, we're just in the, in the cellar one day hanging out, and we thought it would be a cool photo. And that was actually before I started my brand. So it was just a random thing that we did. And then a couple of years later, when I was uh, going through the emotions of getting licensed, trying to think, like, well, I wonder what my logo should be. And I thought of that photo. I was like, okay, there's got to be something we can do with that. And so my friend, who's a graphic designer, was able to draw that up. And what does that image represent to you? To me, personally, it represents a lot of hard work that goes into this industry. You know, it's not just the winemaking that's uh, hard work. You know. I think, unfortunately, um, the world sees, um, I don't know how to say this, but I think winemakers probably get the most credit when there's so many other people in this industry that are just that deserve the spotlight, mm -hmm. you know, like the, the vineyard workers, the cellar workers, the interns, and everyone else in between. It's a huge team effort. I mean, sometimes teams are small, like the one you had when you were at Figgy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, you definitely, I mean, to do everything on your own is just not possible. It's a collaboration. Yeah, it's, it's not possible. Well, you and there's, definitely need help. There's a lot of people, unsung heroes in the wine world carrying a lot on their backs yeah. and not getting the credit right yeah you know and doing the lion's share of the heavy lifting so to speak yeah. to reference your label so well since we've got a couple of your bottles on the table we would be excited to try something sure of course so well, maybe we can start off with our pinot noir from santa lucia highlands Great. sounds good and this what tell us about this wine when did you make it and so this is 2021 vintage from McIntyre Estate Vineyard, so just about 
five miles up the road. Mm -hmm. And this was actually my second vintage working with McIntyre. That's Steve McIntyre. Steve McIntyre, yeah. I so, think he's an excellent brewer. He's, he's got, I mean, there must be so much demand for his fruit. How did you come about being able to source grapes from him? Oh, I asked myself the same question. <laughs> um, I think uh, we've always had, a, since I started here at RAP, a very close relationship with Steve McIntyre because mm -hmm. uh, he does manage the RAP vineyard out here. Uh, so we have close ties with him. And then we do make a little bit of wine for him as well. And so since I started here, I got to know him more and more every year. So I think uh, because of that, um, I've been able to build that connection. Well, credit to Steve and to you because this is delicious. It's a really nice Pinot. Thank you. This is actually 50% whole cluster Pinot Noir. So for our listeners, tell us what you mean by that. Whole cluster Pinot Noir, 50%. So the actual uh, the stems of the cluster um, were actually thrown back into the fermentation, so fermented with the grapes. So you get some of that herbaceousness and earthiness out of the stems. And one of your jobs is to figure out what percent to do whole cluster, like should we 50, should we go 75, right? Well, because working at RAF, where we do a lot of whole cluster, I've got to learn a lot about that. And, you know, we do a mixture of different levels. So I thought I'd go all out and let's say, all right, let me just do 50% and see what happens. I like it a lot. <laughs> it's very good. It's really good. It was good. my first time actually doing this, and I was very, very excited with the way it turned out. Yeah, I think you got the balance just right. It's a really beautiful glass of wine. Um, so we've been talking about diversity in the wine industry or the lack thereof, and um you're involved with something called Unity Through Wine. Tell us about that. Yeah, so that's a label that I started uh, just a few years ago. And the purpose of that label was to unite anyone that's underprivileged, you know, regardless of your race, gender, whatever your background is, your nationality. And that is to just create awareness and to help build a stronger community you know, amongst everyone. And the purpose of that is to, so every year I select a different organization to uh, donate to. Um, an organization that it will use those funds in the most effective way possible to help fight any sort of injustice. And wait, how did that get started? Is that just something in you that you've, you've done and and for how yeah, long? I and... think, uh, you know, for me generally, I'm, I'm a pretty quiet guy, but I'm still very passionate about a lot of things. And so I just wanted my voice to be heard. I'm not like my actual verbal voice, but, <laughs> you know, to be able to provide an outlet, a product where I can uh, band different people together so that we can all join forces and unite and fight against any sort of injustice. And what was the need that you saw in your world here that, that you're trying to address through this? Uh, it was mainly uh, minorities not being heard and not being seen and not being taken care of. You know, even though there's so much talent out there, they need to be treated as if they're very valuable because mm -hmm. they are. And so what type of efforts are you involved in and what what is the... Um, I guess, 
help, aid, support that you are able to do through unity through wine. I'm sorry. Yes, unity through wine. Well, it's mostly uh, you know through my tasting room and uh, promoting the brand. Uh, I get a lot of local support through it. Um, I am trying to grow this to kind of get it out more. You know, I want to be able to grow this brand where uh, it's seen outside of Monterey. You know, I am a small business, so my wines mostly just stay within Monterey. Um, so that is my goal to be able to expand. And are you looking at it as just your project or to bring other people in and bring other wineries into this unity through wine and have them dedicate to the cause? Well, this is just my project, mm -hmm. but I hope it encourages other people to create their own thing, you know, mm -hmm. wherever they happen to be. Mm -hmm. You know, we're all fighting the same fight, but we might have different resources, different outlets, different support systems, you know, so I think we need to use all of our tools to be able to, you know, fight back, give back. It's really admirable that you're, you're a, a young person, a young man, and that you care this much and you already appreciate the shoulders that you have stood on to get where you are today and that you want to give back and recognize inequities and um, try to make a difference. Something else you, you're doing that struck me when I first got to know you is your website. It, I don't... I still haven't seen many websites like this that you have a Spanish or English option on your home page, which yeah. I think is pretty cool. So, you know, again, uh, making what you're doing more accessible to more people. Yeah, I want to be able to provide uh, you know, both languages on my website just because I do have a lot of support from the Latino community. And so I want to make it accessible for them as well. You know, it, I want to make it comfortable for them too, you know, buying wine and learning about wine and also being able to teach them that, you know, we are a Latino-owned business and that we can, you know, we can open these doors for others. Absolutely. And are you finding um, that the next generation of Mexican-Americans are more interested in wine and are more growing their knowledge about it in a way that maybe their parents didn't know because it wasn't culturally a typical beverage, you know? I, I, I don't, I, I'm certainly not Mexican, so I don't know. But, like, did your parents, did you, did they drink wine when you were a kid? And was that a beverage that you had around? No, never. My parents mm -hmm. didn't drink. And, yeah, it's not common for Latinos uh, to drink wine. Mm -hmm. It's just not typical. Um, but I think nowadays it's uh, becoming a little more common. I think mm -hmm. they're more open to it as well. And the, just the exposure, right? Yeah, you just, I mean, that's what it is. It's exposure and knowing that it's there. And, and the, knowing that you guys can drink it too. <laughs> sure, and that yeah. it's, it, it is a, an industry that is available to work in, to, mm -hmm. to, whether it's in the vineyard or whether it's in production or sales, marketing, whatever. But I think, do you find that people view you, and maybe it's a heavy burden as a role model, but um, being um, somebody who they can relate, you know, um, younger Mexican-Americans who might have the slightest bit of interest in wine and working in the industry, there's somebody who looks like me who's succeeded, I can do it too. Is, is, is that something that you're tuned into? Yeah, you know, I, I have people reach out to me uh, a lot of younger Latinos and that are just curious. They'll just ask me questions and they're trying to figure out what they want to do with their careers. And they see this as 
something that is reachable. You know, I can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> and I do think as we keep moving forward, it will be more common to see. Um, we just need to make it known that it is possible, that it, you know, there's a seat at the table for everyone. Absolutely, and I can tell that you are going to, you already are, but will continue to be a leader on that front because you are a caring person, clearly, but you're also really good at what you do. That was a great wine, and you've got another to share with us. So um, we'd love it if you would pour a little. Sure. How many wines do you make? I was going to ask the same thing, and how do you decide which ones to make? Is it grape availability? What is your What are your factors that you... Um, or just curiosity? You know, it's, it's more of my curious mind, honestly, and a lot of my vineyard sources come from just relationships that I've been able to build over time. And a lot of it's through word of mouth. And really the way I start off with is if I visit the vineyard, if if I've heard something good about it, or if I've tasted the wine, and I'm curious to try making it myself. Um, so when I go out there, I meet with the owner, uh, the grower of the vineyard, uh, just to kind of understand and learn more about what they're doing. And if our philosophies align, I'll uh, see if I can work with their vineyard. And for the most part, I work with really small vineyards. Uh, for example, the one you're tasting now comes from Merritt Vineyard, really small. It's only two acres. I take all the Petit Verdot from that vineyard. And uh, so you won't find this Petit Verdot anywhere else. Petit Verdot is not an everyday, every tasting room wine. So tell us about Petit, Petit Verdot and what drew you to it. This is really delicious. Well, working for other wineries, um, you know, especially the... The, the wineries that produce more Bordeaux wines and you know, a lot of Cabernets or red blends. I have been actually exposed to Petit Bordeaux in the past. And so I do have some experience with it uh, previously. And so I actually really enjoy the way Petit Bordeaux stands alone. You know, it's typically a blending grape, you know, to Cabernet or just a Bordeaux blend. Exactly. And that actually was the initial intention uh, when I started my first vintage with this Petit Verdot from Merritt. Um, but I actually loved it on its own so much that I was so happy. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to leave it alone. I'm just going to bottle it as Petit Verdot. Yeah, it's, it's um, got this very nice herbal, almost a minty character. Mm -hmm. and, um, but it's not a big, heavy wine. Um, Petit Verdot um, in a blend will add, I think, color um, yeah, and some color, other characteristics. Some, uh, aroma. Mm -hmm. This is very aromatic. Yeah. And it's, it's nice, and there's, I don't know, I pick up a little bit of spice. Other people might not, but I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, my goal overall is to create wines that are in balance. Mm -hmm. you know, not too much of one thing or another. I don't want my wines to be oaky or overly tannic or acidic. I just want balance. Um, I believe that's really the key for wine. Um, just great balance overall. I do want people to be able to enjoy my wine in any situation. You know, whether you're doing a food pairing or if you just want to have a glass of wine or 
you're just having wine for fun or you actually want to geek out over wine, I want you to enjoy my wines. On all levels. And yeah. you mentioned that you are the only person making Petit Verdot. You basically get the entire production of Petit Verdot off this vineyard. Um, is that typical that you can lock in something like that? How does that work? Uh, I don't know if it's typical, but because I have been able to build my relationship with the grower um, and see, and you know, they, I think they've trust me now <laughs> that they're very happy with the quality of the wine as it's progressing, that they want me to continue making yeah. Petit Verdot from their site. That's great, because their name is on the label too. Exactly, yeah. It's really good. So if you were going to sit down to dinner with uh, a glass of Petit Verdot, what would you want to eat it? eat with your your wine uh, you know this petit verdot can go with so many different dishes you know all kinds of meats anything that's savory um you know pasta dishes um, i think it can even stand up with creamy dishes as well uh, really all across the board how fun um and what other varieties are you working with uh, so i actually do quite a variety of different wines. Um, so well, I'll just go down the list. <laughs> <laughs> go for it. So aside from the Pinot Petit Verdot that we're seeing today, I do uh, Zinfandel, Grenache, uh, Malbec, uh, Chardonnay. Uh, what else? I do Sparkling, Sauvignon mm. Blanc. That's a lot of cellar space. Yeah. <laughs> Are you cellaring all here? Yep. Wow, yeah, that's yeah. great. That's so nice that they'll share their cellar space with yeah. you. Very cool. I just love that sense of community and helpfulness, particularly that I found in the Monterey County area, that it's um, everybody's got reaching a hand out on either side to help someone else, and it's just so nice. We talked about it when we were back here visiting last year with Sabrine, um, she talked about how people after the fires had gathered to kind of were on the phone constantly. What are you doing? How's it going? How can I help you? What do you need? And um, what are you seeing? And there was such a sense of camaraderie. And you're another example of people helping you make your name in this in the wine world also. Yeah, it's definitely a great community to be in. Everyone's very supportive and everyone just wants to see other people succeed. Yeah, which is weird because in, I was saying to Mary Orlin your competition but they don't view it that way yeah. it's more like let's just bring more people to monterey county yeah. or to the wine world in general yeah. let's keep let's cast our wine net out farther and bring more people in yeah we need each other you know if there was only one winery out here you probably wouldn't be successful nobody would be visiting this area we need each other good point good point That's so true so you do work with Sabrine Rodems, who is the winemaker here at Rath, and she was on one of our podcasts last year. It's in our archives, so go to our website. <laughs> but um, what have you learned from Sabrine? You know, Sabrine's been at Rath since the beginning. Uh, I want to say 2004. So she knows that winery inside and out. So she is very mechanical. Uh, she taught me how to run the bottling line, which I've never actually worked with a bottling line before. It's not common for a lot of small wineries to own a bottling line. Most bring in mobile. Oh yeah, you're lines. right. You're right. Yeah, so that was a that was a unique 
uh, learning experience. Uh, not easy, but you know. I hope successful. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been able to learn that from her. I've been learning a lot about just kind of how the the winery operates. Um, you know, just mechanically, really. It's uh, she just knows it. You know, she's very hands on. And, and she's a lot of fun, too. Yeah. We had a good time visiting never, with her. Never a dull moment. Yeah, <laughs> she keeps it fun and interesting. So you recently opened a tasting room. Um, tell us where it is and how it's going. Yeah, so it's actually in Carmel-by-the-Sea um, on Dolores Street. So I just opened up a year ago, a little over a year ago, uh, last April. And it's been going very well, actually. We've been getting a lot of... A lot of uh, support and a lot of followers. Our wine club has increased dramatically, which is great. <laughs> that's so exciting because that's such a huge leap. Mm-hmm. And there's so many different factors that you haven't been working on before because they haven't been in your realm. You know, like yeah. how do you design? What design are you going to put in your room? What do you do? You have to serve anything other than wine? And how do you bring people in? And how many people do you need there at the tasting room? There's a lot of factors to be a proprietor of sorts, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it's a different side of the industry that I hadn't learned. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't. I worked in tasting rooms here and there when I was younger, but never had to manage or set up a tasting room. It's almost like it's a different business. You know, the winemaking comes easy, but running uh, a tasting room and dealing with customers—that's uh, a whole different uh, game. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's, I learned a lot. It's it's been really fun and exciting and. You know, it's growing and we're still evolving and trying to figure out, you know, how to fine tune everything. But, you know, it's, it's been an enjoyable experience. I guess this gives you an opportunity to meet people who are actually drinking your wine. Do you get feedback? Yeah, definitely get a lot of feedback. And, you know, it's been really great. And it's exciting to hear people's responses when they're just so excited about, you know, the wine they are making. And tell me, how excited is your family that all of this success hard-earned success, but this this success has come your way and that you're actually succeeding at the dream you started down at Cal, well, at Hartnell. Yeah. Uh, they love it. Do <laughs> My they? parents really love it. They're yeah. proud of you. Yeah, they're definitely proud. They love seeing the name on everything, you know, the family name. So, yeah, they're definitely very proud and supportive. And, you know, they've been a big part of the business, too. You know, since I started, they would always... Uh, help me sort my grapes during harvest. My dad to this day still goes and picks up my grapes from the vineyard and brings it to me at the winery. Seriously, yeah. that's so nice. Yeah, so I definitely can't do it without them. Are they down at the taste room showing like your baby pictures and stuff? Thankfully <laughs> <laughs> not, I hope not. <laughs> we don't want to give them any ideas. <laughs> yeah. but, oh, Miguel, how can people find you besides at the tasting room in Carmel? Um, I do sell my wine at a few local restaurants here around Monterey. Um, Rio Grill, um, Stokes Adobe, and then you can also find my wines obviously on my website. I do ship to almost every state. And your website is? Uh, Lepecellars.com. L-E-P-E Sellers.com. That's correct. And I'm on social media, Instagram and Facebook another part of the job you know that's another (laughs) (laughs) it's one thing to be working in the vineyards and in the cellar room but now you're also got to be taking care of your social (laughs) 
It oh. never ends. Mm-mm. Well, what a pleasure to get to know you better and to uh, taste your delicious wines. Your story, I think, is so inspiring. And more than that, I, I'm excited about all the people that you will help out by your kindness, by your desire to give back. I mean, that's so cool. As I said, you're young and that you care already. You haven't, you're not waiting until you're some major fat cat to say, well, now I'll, I'll throw some money at something. You're doing it right now and it's so cool. Right. And right now when it matters. Yeah. When I'm young and have the energy, yes. Good for you. Well, Miguel, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we want to say cheers to you. And sip, sip, hooray. Thanks, Miguel. Cheers. Cheers. cheers.